0: This is Education Insight, and I'm Lacey Kendall. Happy New Year! (laughs) No, it's not January, but on school campuses all over Southern California, it's common to hear that when it's back to school time. In the past few weeks, everyone from kindergartners to Ph.D. students entered or returned to classes for a new school year, and for many this year is going to be very different. California legislators tightened the budget this year due to current economic insecurities. Now schools are struggling to figure out how to deal with a more than $20 billion decrease in the California education budget for 2023-24. Now at the same time, college students are finding that free money is easier to come by than they ever thought possible through a massive campaign for grant money to help Californians afford college. Today, we're discussing the stresses and successes of this new school year. Kimberly Liaz of the California Student Aid Commission joins us to explain grant funding that's available, but often unapplied for. That's later in the program. We'll also meet the new associate vice president in charge of the Palm Desert campus of CSUSB and students from all over our region as they share their hopes for this school year. But first we welcome Jonathan Kaplan. He's the senior policy analyst at the California Budget and Policy Center in Sacramento. Jonathan, thanks for taking our call.
1: Really happy to be here and have the opportunity to talk to you.
0: Could you describe the current state of California's education budget and its major components that you believe we should be aware of? Why is this budget and the coming school year causing so much concern for folks in education?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, the the current state of California's state budget um, for education in state is generally positive. Um, but there is some uncertainty out there. You know, there has been several years prior to this past one where we saw significant increases in funding for K-12 schools and community colleges. Um, but in the last year or so, we've seen a flattening of that increase. So, relative to those prior year increases, the concerns that are out there could relate to why that flattening is occurring. There's talk of a potential recession in the economy that could impact the funding estimates that the state has made for education in the next year. Um, and then there's also concerns about what is so-called out-year spending, what this looks, what, what is a flattening of revenue look like as we move into not just the 2023-24 year, but in years thereafter. And then lastly, there's an uncertainty because this year uh, sort of a unique situation where the federal government and the state franchise tax board extended the deadline for tax filing. So the state doesn't have as much information as it typically does at this point in the year to know exactly how much money is available for, for schools out there. So that's, that's sort of the general lay of the land about where we are right now with regard to the, educa- the state's budget for education funding.
0: Okay. So as a senior policy analyst whose job is day to day to focus on education and taxes, could you explain Jonathan why understanding the state budget for education is so crucial to the general public right now?
1: Yeah, well, understanding California's state budget is is crucial because it provides more than half of the funding That California's K 12 school districts receive on an annual basis. So, if you want to understand anything with regard to the resources that schools have, the annual funding it receives, you really need to understand the California state budget. Um, That's true this year, as it is any uh, any year. So, because we have a state that funds its schools in, in a particular way, it means that school districts out there are pretty keenly interested in how the state budget is going at any given time because they're dependent on the state budget for the majority of their funding.
0: This is Education Insight. So what or who influences how much funding goes into California's education system?
1: Well, the state of California has a constitutional provision that's in the state constitution that's called Proposition 98, which guarantees a minimum level of funding for K-12 schools and community colleges annually. Proposition 98 includes a bunch of formulas that determine that annual minimum funding guarantee, which are kind of complicated, uh, but a key input is how much the state receives uh, annually in general fund revenue. So that is really the primary determining factor in terms of the overall amount of money uh, that is flowing into California's K-12 schools and community colleges.
0: How does the allocation of state money ultimately impact local schools in the Inland Empire. I was wondering if you'd break down how the funding from the state reaches the classroom in areas like the Inland Empire.
1: Yeah, well, um, so if we break it down where we look at a classroom in the Inland Empire or, or elsewhere in the state, that classroom is getting its funding from the school district in which it's located. And then if you go a step above a classroom or a school, The school districts who are dispersing funds to local schools and to classrooms get their funding from a combination of state and local funding, as well as funding from the federal government. Now, as I mentioned, the majority of funding school districts receive annually comes from the state budget. A large majority of that state funding that is allocated to school districts comes through the state's main funding formula for school districts, which is called the local control funding formula. Uh, better known as the LCFF. That's the acronym for it. Um, There are other revenues that flow to school districts, but the biggest portion of dollars that's flowing uh, to the school district from the state is is through this thing called the local control funding formula. So state dollars, local dollars, federal dollars flow to a school district. School district gets those dollars and then disperses them to local schools and classrooms. Um, That's generally how it operates.
0: Mm -hmm. I have suspected for years that there are specific criteria or formulas that are used to determine what schools receive, how the Inland Empire or Riverside or San Bernardino County might get something different from Sacramento or from the Coachella Valley. Is that true? Is there criteria or formulas that uh, that determine who gets what?
1: Yeah, there are. Um, so first, you know, as I already mentioned, there's this umbrella amount of money, which determines the overall amount of funding that schools can receive in a given year or do receive in a, in a given year. And then there's another formula that determines the amount that a, a specific K-12 school district in the state receives. And, and the majority of that is coming from that formula, the local control funding formula. So that um, is the, one of the criteria. And that LCFF formula has a few components. First, it has what's so-called a base grant um, that every school district in the state gets based on the, num- the number of students that attend in that school district for a grade span. Um, so it's slightly different from K3, 4, 6, uh, 7 to 8, and then 9 through 12. So you have grade span adjustments uh, for that base grant. Then, depending on the demographics of a given school district, in addition to that base grant, uh, the LCFF has two other grants. One's called the Supplemental Grant. The other is called the Concentration Grant. Supplemental and Concentration concentration Grants are determined by the number or share of students who are in one of the following demographic groups. Students who come from low-income families, English learners, Foster youth or homeless students. If you are one of those demographic groups, then the school district in question will get a supplemental grant for that student of 20% on top of the base grant. And for school districts that have large shares of those students, that is more than 55% of the enrollment of an individual school district. Above that 55% threshold, school districts receive a concentration grant, which is equal to 65% of the base grant. So that is, in essence, the LCFF formula, and that is the criteria by which you're getting different amounts of money flowing to different school districts. Uh, There are other places and formulas but that that is the biggest one, the most important I would suggest uh, in terms of how much uh, revenue is flowing to a given school district across the state.
0: I think anybody listening can deduct as as I have that California's budgeting process is and can be very complex. What happens when as we're discussing today, when budgets change?
1: Yeah, so what's happening annually at the state level is the state uh, is making some estimates about how much money is coming into the state in a given period of time. And those are simply best guesses about where the state can expect its revenues uh, to fall at a given year. You know, it could be higher or lower. It is never the case that the state of California gets it exactly right. But they're trying their best to determine in a given period of time what those revenues might look like. So when it changes, which it does, um, there are mechanisms in place to allow um, for the state to make adjustments in a given two to three year budget cycle, as we call it, um, so that they're able, within a certain bandwidth, be able to adjust so that there's, you know, an ability to make it not as impactful at the local level. Like, Um, Like
0: emergency funds.
1: There are. There is actually a rainy day fund Mm -hmm. for schools and community colleges. Uh, Its technical name is the Public School System Stabilization Account, um, better known as the Prop 98 Rainy Day Fund. Um, And yes, so there are constitutional provisions as well that sort of put money aside in times where there's better revenues happening and to be used in times when there may be a fall in revenue relative to the estimates that are made. So there there are mechanisms out there to try to mitigate potential changes on the downside. And on the upside, if there's more money flowing into the state budget than was initially estimated, um, that Proposition 98 guarantee, that constitutional formula, requires the state to make adjustments such that additional money flows to school districts and community colleges um, when revenues come in higher than initially estimated.
0: You're listening to Education Insight. Today, we're discussing the decrease in our California education budget that hits in 2024. More with Jonathan Kaplan from the California Budget and Policy Center in Sacramento in just a moment. Stay with us. is Education Insight. Today, discussing California's education budget decreases for 2024 that will be affecting local schools in the Inland Empire. Our guest is Jonathan Kaplan. He's the Senior Policy Analyst at the California Budget and Policy Center in Sacramento. Jonathan, so many of our listeners work as administrators and educators uh, in San Bernardino and Riverside counties, and they're wondering what this is going to look like. Could you highlight any anticipated impacts or changes that we and the rest of California might see this year because of those budget adjustments? How are the changes going to directly affect students and educators?
1: The uh, California uh, State Department of Finance is making its best guesses and estimates as relates to what revenues for the state look like in a given period. And um, as I mentioned at the very outset, those estimates of revenue have have um, sort of flattened over the last uh, recent period. Um, so year to year, there ha- there's actually a slight decrease in the overall amount of funding that was budgeted for K-12 schools in the 2023-24 year, it's possible we could see a reduction in state revenue below the estimates that were made as part of the state budget agreement uh, that happened just this past June and July. So it's possible that we could see additional adjustments that would go to the downside, that is, that would reduce overall amounts of money flowing to K-12 school districts. However, because of the mechanisms I sort of mentioned earlier that allow the state um, some latitude in how allocations work in a given budget cycle, it's unlikely that we'll see significant, a significant enough reduction in revenue for the state that it would su- substantively and fundamentally affect funding that's flowing to school districts. So there's enough wiggle room, so to speak, to allow for adjustments, that it looks unlikely, for example, that the local control funding formula that school districts receive and are so keenly paying attention to is likely to change a great amount in the 2023-24 school year. The big question is, what does this look like in the next year, that is the 24-25 year, mm-hmm. the 25-26 year, yeah. and then are we seeing? Uh, you know, is there going to be a recession? Are our estimates of our revenues uh, too rosy at this point? And will that mean that there's a need to tamp down increases in funding for K-12 schools in a way that would have a significant impact at the at the local level? That's a little bit of tea leaf reading. We don't really know. <laughs> no one, no one has any crystal balls, but. That's why it's so important to be paying attention to what's happening both at the state budget level, what's happening for state general fund revenues, because that's ultimately going to help determine what's available for school districts in the in both the, you know, in the 24, 25 year and in their in years thereafter.
0: Are there specific goals or priorities that California's education budget focuses on? How do California's education goals line up with the needs of small communities and schools such as those in the Inland Empire?
1: Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that the state budget is focusing on goals or priorities, but the state has established a series of priorities, eight Mm -hmm. of them, in fact, eight state priorities that are uh, sort of at the core of the state's accountability system. Mm-hmm. Um, and those eight state priorities include, for example, pupil achievement, it includes um, access to courses, it includes ba- basic services, parent involvement, school climate and the like. Um, those eight state priorities are categorized and displayed uh, for the state in on something called the California School Dashboard um and there um you you can go online and find it you know google california school dashboard and it should come up pretty quickly and you can see for any given school district um those eight state priorities and how how the school district is doing with regard to those priorities and i would suggest it's des- you know it's designed to be a holistic representation of what the state believes should be the priorities or goals For school districts across the state, and is intended to capture a broad array of things that are going on out there in terms of what school districts are doing. So, you know, there is a focus on those, and there's, uh, you know, a difference that, you know, school districts may choose and decide to prioritize one or more of those eight state priorities as opposed to others. That is actually reflected in. Um, school budgeting processes at the local level—that's called the Local Control and Accountability Plan, um, LCAP, for for those who know what that acronym means—and basically, it's an attempt to try and direct, you know, uh, services programs to address uh, given priorities that are the ones that I, amongst the ones that I described. So that's how the state sets up. Um, what goals and priorities there are. And it's up to local school districts to decide how they're going to, um, you know, approach that.
0: So we're learning a lot today about how California handles the budget as it pertains to education. What have you learned about how other states handle such a a situation and the budget for education?
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, there are 50 different states out there that do uh, (laughs) education funding differently from one another, um, Mm -hmm. generally. Um, But there's a big breakdown or a big picture breakdown in terms of the approach that different states have relative to California. And really, it has to do with how local property taxes uh, affect school funding. So we haven't really discussed the differences that may exist amongst different school districts as relates to local uh, funding. In states where there's high levels of funding, for example, in New York or New Jersey, oftentimes what's happening in states uh, that we hear about very large amounts of per-pupil expenditure, what we're seeing is is that there's large amounts of dollars that are flowing to some school districts based on local property taxes. And local property taxes in the state of California, while they do have actually an impact on school funding, it doesn't affect, counterintuitively, In most cases, it doesn't affect the amount that the school district is receiving on the whole for things like the local control funding formula. And that's because the state of California, for longstanding reasons having to do with uh, Supreme Court cases in the 1970s and the development of the education finance system, have not premised funding for local school districts based on local property wealth. So if you have a wealthy school district by property, that is the amount of value of property uh, in a given school district, generally speaking, it doesn't affect how much money a local school district receives, whereas that's not the case in places uh, in some places across the country. So there's a big divide there in terms of what I would suggest is a question of equity, how much school districts in the, in areas of the state receive there are some caveats to that in California. There there's an opportunity for California school districts to approve what are so-called parcel taxes. Um, and they're generally you find those parcel taxes uh, are approved uh, more often in wealthier districts, for example, in the Los Angeles area or in the Bay Area. Um, so you do see some disparities uh, with regard to that. and there are uh, there are other ways in which property wealth can affect what's happening in terms of uh, the revenues that a school district receives. But for the most part, California has a more equitable approach um, in terms of how it provides funding to local school districts relative to other states that choose to premise their funding formula, in part on how much local constituents vote, for example, for a local tax. Um, that would then fund their school district at a higher per-pupil rate than another school district in another part of that state. So that's a big-picture view of sort of the way in which California approaches its education finance system comparative to other states.
0: You're listening to Education Insight today discussing how changes in the California budget as it pertains to education may affect us here in Inland Empire, San Bernardino and Riverside County classrooms. Jonathan, as someone who spends your days analyzing education funding, I wanna ask you the big question. Through your answers, I'm hearing both optimism and I'm hearing a little bit of concern. So how do you see the impact of these notable budget changes on the overall quality of the California students' learning experience over the next few years.
1: Yeah, well, you know, as I mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation, there, you know, over, let's say, the two thousand nineteen twenty to 2022-23 year, there were significant increases in funding available for schools and community colleges at the state level. And that produced some significant outlay, budget expenditure from the state for certain kinds of programs um, that were that are still being rolled out. Um, some notable ones are uh, the Community Schools Program, which started a very large increase in funding, uh, the Expanded Learning and Opportunity Program, which is funding before school, after school, and summer school programs, uh, as well as large investments in programs to address the teacher shortage and teacher pipeline issues. Um, so I would hope, and uh, we're still watching as those programs are being rolled out, that we hope to see how those investments over the course of the next few years will impact things at the local level. Will we see greater engagement at the local level because of the community school model, where you have opportunities for school districts and uh, and community organizations to engage in an enterprise together to provide more holistic services for school? Uh, for kids and and uh, in their communities, for example, or um, you know, additional services for after school, before school, uh, and summer school programs through the Expanded Learning Opportunities Program. Will that actually uh, have desired out uh, effects for students, um, given the effects of the pandemic, which was one of the reasons for the Expanded Learning Opportunities Program, as well as also those issues about whether investments in the teacher pipeline which have been substantial over the last several years will those investments address the shortages that we see in particular areas uh, in particular course offerings uh, for example special education and math or uh, stem programs or in particular regions like in the inland Empire it's still unclear as to exactly how those investments uh, w- what the outcomes of those investments are but I'm hopeful that we'll see in you know, positive uh, impacts of the investments in those programs and the experiences of students across the state.
0: Jonathan, if somebody wanted to learn more about the California budget as it pertains to education, where might they go to learn more?
1: Well, certainly they could visit our website. That's uh, the California Budget and Policy Center website is calbudgetcenter.org. Um, We have a wealth of information on that website regarding not just uh, K-12 education, but other parts of education, as well as the state budget generally, and some helpful resources there that I would suggest people visit.
0: Our guest today, Jonathan Kaplan, Senior Policy Analyst with the California Budget and Policy Center in Sacramento, helping us today to understand the changes in California's 2023-2024 budget and what the effects might be on local classrooms. Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, taking our call and answering our questions about the budget here today on Education Insight.
1: Really enjoyed the opportunity. Hope it was helpful.
0: While our Inland Empire schools determine how to deal with less money this school year, Tens of thousands of Californians who want to attend college are receiving free money that is making community college and attending a university possible. They're doing that through the decades old Free Application for Federal Student Aid or FAFSA. But many more Inland Empire residents than in the past are jumping on board due to the hundreds of workshops known as Cash for College where state officials are right here in the Inland Empire and in Coachella Valley, helping locals complete the often complicated application for grant money. Joining us by phone is Kimberly Liaz, the Cash for College Coordinator for the California Student Aid Commission in Sacramento. Kimberly, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lacey, nice to be here. Could you tell us about your work with the Cash for College program?
2: Yeah, so Cash for College is a program that helps students and families learn about financial aid and completing their financial aid application, which is the FAFSA or also the California Dream Act application. We shorten it by calling it CADA or CADA. Um, and then our workshops are free and open to anyone who needs help understanding financial aid. And then our workshop attendees bring questions about financial aid. And we, as um, some of our experts, uh, help them understand the the little nuances or line by line of what can trip up uh, students and families. And some of our workshops are hosted by us at CSAC, uh, but also by our community-based organizations, Every corner of California. so we we have contracted partners that we work with um, throughout the state of California. We have seven regional coordinating organizations, and we have sixteen project
0: calso project consortias. So the cash for college programs that everybody's hearing about, and these mm-hmm. uh, and primarily these workshops. Is that a new thing, Kimberly? Uh, Because I don't remember hearing about those in the past. And here in the Inland Empire, and I know in the Coachella Valley, folks are talking about them a lot because people who just couldn't win when applying for FAFSA, they're now getting funding because of this help in these workshops. But are they new? Am I accurate in that? I haven't
2: found the actual date that the Cash for College has been around, but I know it's been around because when I was in high school, I didn't know it was called Cash for College. So I think in terms of branding, I think it has gotten a lot more attention. And I know uh, Julissa, who's with GIA and is one of our contracted partners, she does a really good job at promoting um, down in San Bernardino on Riverside. But yeah, it's been around. I was
0: in high school about almost 20 years ago, so I'm giving away my age a little bit, but. <laughs> How does it work and who's eligible when we're talking about grant money for college? Yeah, so
2: students apply for financial aid every year. They intend to be in college and they only fill out one application. So it's either the FAFSA, if they have documentation, um, or if they are an undocumented student, then they would complete the California Dream App application, also known as the CADA or pronounced CATA. And yes, grant money as well as scholarships, we most of us understand that this is free money, meaning that we that students don't have to pay it back. And uh, many students who apply for financial aid will be offered student loans as part of a larger package. But financial aid does not mean that the students have
0: to accept the student loans. Gotcha. So where does this money originate from?
2: Good question. Um, The federal funding authorized in Title four of the Higher Education Act of 1965. So state funds are provided in the governor's budget annually. So for more than 65 years, the state of California has funded the commission, meaning CSAC, to provide assistance to students seeking higher education. And um, the commission also funds our cash for college workshops.
0: uh, And the commission was founded back in 1955. So it has been around a while. Yes, it has. Okay. If you just joined us, you're listening to Education Insight. We're speaking with Kimberly Lee as she is the Cash for College Coordinator with the California Student Aid Commission in Sacramento. And what we're talking about today is financial aid, but in particular about workshops that are going on all over the state. Uh, perhaps you've heard about one in your community where CSAC, or California Student Aid Commission, employees, counselors, can I say?
2: Yeah, counselors as well as uh, community-based organizations okay. and college access partners are hosting
0: these workshops. And literally helping students avoid making the mistakes that they so often do that make them ineligible for this free money. And very often, as I learned this summer, very often some of the most common mistakes that students make or those that want to be students is they'll put down their own name differently than it is on their tax return or on other key documents. Maybe they'll put an initial instead of their middle name and that automatically disqualifies them. Isn't that right, Kimberly?
2: Yes. So we try to have students make sure that their tax information, if they're filling up the FAFSA, matches correctly on their FAFSA application because there is an identity matching that the U.S. Department uh, does on the back end.
0: Okay. In the past few years, much of the free money that has been made available to those who want to go to college here in our area and all around California has been left on the table completely unapplied for. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, there's funding that is unclaimed. According to the National College Attainment Network, also known as NCAN, $3.6 billion in Pell Grants were unclaimed in the 22-23 academic year. And that's why we tried to talk to families and students and let them know not to disqualify themselves yeah because um, the truth is, is that 80% Of students who do apply receive some form of aid. And to help students claim the money available to them, here in California we've adopted legislation that helps more students apply for financial aid and that law requires students to confirm that graduating seniors complete a FAFSA or a California Dream Act application. Mm -hmm. And here at the commission we have implemented an initiative called an all-in campaign.
0: You mentioned those that are uh, just graduating from high school. But this money is available also to middle-aged adults who are thinking they'd like to go back to college as well, isn't it? Before you answer that, we need to take a quick break. Our guest is Kimberly Liaz. She's the Cash for College coordinator for the California Student Aid Commission in Sacramento. We'll have more with her in just a moment. This is Education Insight. Welcome back to Education Insight. Coming up, a new leader for Coachella Valley's only four-year university and various local students and educators share their hopes and dreams for a new school year. We'll hear from them in just a bit. But before the break, we met Kimberly Liaz, the Cash for College coordinator for the California Student Aid Commission in Sacramento. Kimberly, before the break, I asked if this cash for college grant money is also available for adults who may want to return to college or attend for the very first time.
2: Yes, definitely true. I try to talk to a lot of returning students or non-traditional folks who are maybe picking up a second or third career, or maybe they're wanting to just finish out a degree that they started, but life happened. But yes, there is funding available for them too.
0: Are you finding students or uh, those that wish to be students are surprised by the fact that there is so much money available out there that they can get, that they do not have to pay back?
2: Yes, we're finding that some of them didn't know that this was an option for them mm-hmm. and also at the commission we're trying to locate those students too <laughs> by working with our partners and um, you know reaching out to them and letting them know that hey we don't know how much money you have available to you as of yet but we need to if you apply with the Fast or the california dream act then we could figure out and you know, put a package together based on where you're trying to go back
0: to school. But yeah. 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 So I know that your office uh, there in Sacramento, that you're working with the Inland Empire and with Coachella Valley and, and all of California. So what are your greatest efforts that you're making to help make sure that students get that money?
2: Yeah, at the commission, we provide the free resources for students and families to apply for financial aid. So that's through our Cash for College workshops. Uh, Last year, we held over 1,400 workshops. Wow. Yeah, Uh, we regularly answer questions for students and parents on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, as well as TikTok. And um, we also work with local elected officials, uh, community-based organizations to host these workshops and help students and their families uh, complete that financial aid application. And then we also provide free resources uh, to schools, counselors, students and families um, on our website, which is uh, csac.ca.gov. And in fact, there's still um, enough time for folks that are willing to, that are wanting to go back to the community college. I know that is September 2nd. However, uh, this academic year for 23, 24, the deadline has been extended a couple days. So it's September 5th for those community folks wanting to go back to community
0: college. September 5th. Correct. Okay. So Kimberly, this summer, Coincidentally, I, too, participated in a couple of workshops here in the Inland Empire where we invited parents and and uh, adults that wanted to go back to college, kids uh, right out of a number of local high schools here, and we just spread the word everywhere. And I did it with a nonprofit organization here in the Inland Empire, and I want you to hear, uh, and listeners as well— it was a moving experience each time. Oh, that's great. We yeah. had, uh, we had a, a mother that came in, and she's an Uber driver. Her daughter is a scholar, great scholar in high school, just graduated from a San Bernardino high school, and she said, I have no idea how I can even begin to pay for my daughter's college. I just know she's academically qualified to mm-hmm. be here and uh, to, uh, to be in college. So I don't say no to anything, so we're here to see what happens. And by the end of that workshop, we knew from one of the officials looking into the system that she had already been approved for over $15,000 of immediate funding and a private grant as well. Her mother sat down in a seat there and wept. She was, she was so surprised and so overjoyed. I'll, no. I'll bet you've seen some of those too. Could you tell me and our listeners, could you share with us what you've seen? folks who thought there was no chance they could go to college because there's no money to do so, who suddenly found out that bill is payable and the money is there. Could you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so um, about myself and my uh, my identical twin sister. <laughs>
0: um,
2: you know, again, this program was around for decades now, but at the time we were applying to school, Back in 2009, and um, my, my twin sister and I were one and a half generation immigrants um, from the Philippines. And you know, our mom didn't know co- about the college system here, and you know, she, we just knew that we had to go to college, it wasn't, yeah, uh, it would help us in our careers in the future. And but we just didn't know the process, the cash for college workshop that was being hosted at our local high school, and our mom. She was essentially a single mom. Our dad didn't have; um, he was hurt on the job, and our mom was a sole provider for a family of um, six. And so, we were sure of how much money we were going to get, and we didn't know how much exactly when we submitted our application. But when we got our financial aid packages from the two school, from my school as well as my twin sisters, we found out that you know college was affordable and Mm -hmm. and even now i i didn't get to tell you this Lacey, but i you know it's i feel like coming to and working for california student aid commission is is like a full circle story for me because you know as a first generation college student a a one-and-a-half generation immigrant who was stumbling (laughs) through high school and kind of navigate college and the entire system i'm to tell students who, you know, may write my story that there are people like um, me who, you know, who figured it out and who are first generation, second generation, um, get that uh, funding and college teaches us work skills that are applicable to many fields. And um, I'm also a career counselor. So I recently got my master's wow. for me. That was also a big um moment um, a milestone for my my village or my family because I'm also the first one to do that and it was a very scary process but again I also still applied for financial aid and I'm able to get a scholarship so yeah that's one of the stories um, I'd like to share and we've met students that were foster youth Uh, her name is June you know, worked with us at the commission to share her story as well. She was also a single mother. And she's currently, I think, finishing up her master's at uh, Cal State Fullerton. And so stories like that, it warms my heart that, you know, we all don't come from the same hardships or challenges, but nonetheless, we have barriers, but we want to overcome them and make a better life for ourselves. And we understand that financial aid, is a vehicle for helping us make a better life for ourselves and our family and have uh, prosperous
0: careers. You bet. Wow. So if somebody listening uh, is thinking either for their child or for themselves that they would like to go back to college, but they're not sure if that money is there, if they're Mm -hmm. intrigued by all of this, Where Mm -hmm. might they go to find out more about the Cash for College program?
2: Very good question. Um, They can go on our website, which is uh CSAC.com. So, csac.ca.gov, and that's our main homepage for the California Student Aid Commission. Uh, They're also welcome to email our Cash for College inbox, which we check regularly every day. So, it's cash, um, F O R, for college at csac.ca.gov, and that's another avenue. And those are two main things I, I recommend students if. They're having questions about the FAFSA or the California Dream Act, anything in between for middle-class scholarship questions, the whole gamut, and Cal Grant, but yes.
0: Kimberly Liaz, the Cash for College coordinator with the California Student Aid Commission in Sacramento, uh, also known frequently as CSAC, Thank you so much for coming on our show today here on Education Insight and helping us understand the Cash for College program and financial aid in, in general. Appreciate your time.
2: Thank you so much,
0: Lacey. I'm so glad to be here. The bell has rung and school is back in session. This week we learned that regardless of age, every student, librarian and educator has their own hopes for the new school year. So Education Insight asked a few of them to share those with us and started with the new leader of the Palm Desert campus of CSUSB, Associate Vice President Edna Martinez.
2: My hopes and dreams for this semester is really about our students, faculty, and staff feeling like they matter because they do matter, right? I want all our students, faculty, and staff to feel this sense of belonging on campus. And for Palm Desert in particular, I want us to be the option, right? I want students to desire to be here on campus, not because it's the only option, but because we offer all the resources that they need. We offer the degree programs that they're interested in pursuing uh, because they've come to learn or recognize that we have world-class faculty committed to their success.
1: Uh, Same with our staff members.
0: My name is Oliver. And what I want to see is lots of opportunities to play soccer. And I would like to learn more about computers.
2: Hi, my name is Adriana, and my hopes for the coming school year are to just feel more included as a community, as a school, and just see more student events, just more inclusion and togetherness.
1: My name is Oscar Fonseca, resident of Coachella Valley, and my dream for our students, staffs, and more importantly, our families, is for them to feel as strong as educators of their own families as much as the students feel so we can thrive within our region.
0: What I look forward to doing this school year is, is getting continuing to getting good grades and playing soccer with my friends.
1: Hi, my name is Oscar Merno Castro, and my dream for the upcoming year is to successfully pass my second year of grad school, as well as get ready for my internship. It's my first time doing an internship at a school setting, so I'm looking forward to that, and let's see how it goes.
0: Hi, this is Dr.
2: Risa Lumley, and what I'd like for this school year is just for people to read books before they try to ban them. If we wanna have a conversation about what's in the book after you've read it, That's great, but please don't try to ban books when you don't know the content of them or you've just heard what it might be. What I look forward to most this school year is getting good grades so I can get a phone, playing football for my school, and getting new friends. I'm
1: Milo, and I'm in second grade. I like reading Mo Willems books. And I hope I get to read more
0: of them. And that wraps up another edition of Education Insight. Thanks to the many educators and students who joined us today, and to those of you writing with suggestions for stories we should be covering. If you have an idea, write to us. G-I-A-Together.org. I'm Lacey Kendall for Education Insight. Thanks for joining us. Education Insight is produced in partnership with
1: KVCR San Bernardino. Our executive producer is Jacob Poor and our production engineer is Tyler Vesey. Alyssa Silva is our production assistant, and Lacey Kendall is your host. Support is provided by Growing Inland Achievement, working together for inland education and economic success.
0: And by Colleague Futures Foundation. Do you have questions or suggestions for the future topics we should be covering? Write to us
1: at educationinsight.org. Join us again next time for
2: Education (laughs) Insight.
1: Everybody have a good school year.